Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter Guys. This is episode 83 of the show where the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at FreightWaves. I'm alongside lead economist Anthony Smith once again this week. We're talking with Andrew Lockwood, who works over at Sudoth Global Logistics. He is a FreightWaves TV veteran. He's on FreightWaves uh, Freight now at least once a week. And we're going to be discussing how retailers are pulling forward their buying schedules. We, we've had uh, some major retailers announce earnings over the past week and a half. Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, all of these companies grew inventories pretty significantly. Uh, again, we're lapping Q2 of last year when inventories dwindled, but that was one of the big questions going into this holiday season is, are these companies going to have anything to sell? And at least from the big guys, it seemed they are. They've pulled forward their schedules. Walmart and Home Depot have chartered their own ships to make sure their stuff gets here. Um, and so, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of creative things. I'm going to talk to uh, Andrew about some of those creative things that retailers are doing, what else they should do to prepare for the holiday season. We're also going to talk about back-to-school shopping season. Uh, Walmart and Target have both come out and said that they're seeing pretty strong back-to-school seasons despite the Delta variant. So exciting conversation coming up there. Let me take a moment to thank my sponsor, Emerge. This episode is brought to you by Emerge, the digital freight marketplace. While market volatility is affecting everyone, you need an RFP expert to navigate the uncertainty industry expertise with technology for your RFP event now and in the future. Emerge from the confusion by visiting get.emergemarket.com slash GQG. Again, that's get.emergemarket.com slash GQG. I nailed it this time. I'd struggled on that uh, on that link for the last two weeks. Happy to get it back this week. Uh, Anthony, we've got two charts of the day for the people. I'll let you go first, my man. Definitely. So I wanted to kind of keep it topical for Andrew Lockwood and some of the things that you're going to be talking about. And of course, I have it here. It's a chart for the LMI. And so really looking at it, it's looking at the logistics managers index, looking at warehouse prices, and looking at inventory prices. And so looking at the LMI as a whole is similar to the PMI, where in anything over 50 is indicative of expansion, while anything below 50 is indicative of contraction. So a reading of 88 or 85 is well within that expansionary territory. We work with Zach Rogers, who is a professor at Colorado State University, to help get these into sonar. But looking at that, we're seeing the record highest and the second highest reading for warehousing prices and overall inventory costs. And so talking about this pull forward, each additional or incremental increase in capacity is exponentially higher in prices right now. And so we're seeing this build up, and especially with warehousing prices, because typically we see those warehousing prices increase at a slower clip. And so seeing it at this level is telling. And knowing what kind of season we're heading into, it, it just kind of drives into, okay, what are we going to be seeing in this holiday season? Like you said, I think you mentioned it going into, uh, and freight waves now, it's just the peakest of peaks. And it's certainly building up to be that way on the price front. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because, as I just said, with the big retailers, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, they're all building inventories, pulling forward as much as they possibly can. They're trying to get ahead of this curve. And we spoke to Daniel Stanton, uh, Mr. Supply Chain, on Freightways Now. I think it was the beginning of last week or, or last Wednesday. And he spoke about how, uh, kind of going back to supply chain basics, about how companies might need to consider how low uh, interest rates are right now and how cheap capital is to acquire and how difficult it is to procure warehousing space and how um, more expensive inputs are getting over time. We really haven't got a, a bottom, we haven't reached a peak of uh, commodity cost inflation. So with all that in mind, he said it might be advantageous for you to go ahead, get inventory and hotel it, uh, put it in warehouses if you can find the space. So you see Walmart, you see Target doing that. They might be expecting these inventory costs to continue rising 
um, into the next year. Go ahead and getting ahead of that right now. All right, uh, chart number two for you is I've got the Ontario length of hauls. So volume out of the Ontario market, the nation's largest freight market, or, or there it kind of battles with Atlanta. But one of the big things we had spoken about uh, during the month of July and into the beginning of August was that we were seeing a divergence between uh, spot rates and the Apple Tinder reject index. And one of the reasons that we kind of came to for that, for, for that happening was in many major markets, we were seeing a growth in short haul volumes and we're seeing a, a kind of a, a moderation in long haul volumes, especially out of Ontario. This is something we saw in the previous months. And we've seen that trend reverse a little bit. So we're starting to see longer haul um, growing again over the past three weeks. City and short haul volumes have retreated, but long, mid and tweener are all growing again. That's the first time in a couple months that that's happened. So my point being here is I think these are retailers, these are consumer-facing companies, and, and pretty much all uh, companies expecting to go into the holiday season beginning to move product to the end destination. I think a lot of the volumes that we saw, the rise in short and mid-haul volumes, uh, short and city hall volumes that we saw in June and July were companies bringing in imports and just posting them there in whatever warehouse they could get. Um, so that's that. Uh, I think that we're starting to see kind of preparations going on there. So Andrew, quick question, um, and this is a shot in the dark here, kind of a wild card question. So when we're looking at this preparation, when we're looking at what shippers are doing, what is happening with inventories, all this pull forward, a lot of times within the logistics space, we see that there's a reaction, but it's way too late. Do you think as we kind of get adjusted to this clip, this pace that we're moving at, that there's ever going to be a point where we just are, wow, we have way too much stuff and demand mm -hmm. has completely dropped off a cliff? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a chance of that. I think the I think the chance is greater for for smaller companies that don't have as good of data on there or don't have as good of uh, inventory and demand planning. For the for the bigger guys, for the Walmart, Targets, Home Depots, I think that they are better positioned just given their scale, um, both online and in store, to sell uh, to put the, you know put themselves in a better position. So I, I I would be you know I would question that they get to that point, but some of the smaller guys uh, most definitely. All so right, so I got a couple quick top stories before we bring in Mr. Lockwood uh, to discuss everything we're going to talk about today. So first one is just Best Buy. They reported earnings this morning. I wanted to just note that they absolutely smashed Wall Street expectations. Consensus expectations for uh, earnings per share was $1.89. They posted $2.98. Revenue expectations uh, were 11.5 bill. They posted 11.85 billion. So they are lapping this, again, a weird uh, quarter last year where half of the quarter they were open only by appointment. Uh, so they saw their digital sales plummet down about 28% from this time last year. But total comparable sales from its stores and its online sales were up 20% year over year. I liked this quote from CEO Corey Berry. She said that the pandemic has led to permanent life changes like hybrid work and streaming entertainment content. And consumers now need to spend more on technology products than they did in the past. I think that that is true. So we've had this kind of beat and raise um, <laughs> just one after another uh, from the big retailers this this past week, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, TJ Maxx, all huge beat and huge races. I'm definitely looking forward to Peloton and Dix. They're coming up a little bit later this week. All right, uh, last story here is congestion check. So we've been kind of keeping up with the uh, congestion in San Pedro Bay, and it broke the record. Uh, we had kind of been you know, expecting this to happen in the coming days. It did on Friday. There were 40 container ships awaiting birth. That is a new record. It has come down to 38 as of yesterday. But the challenge for Los Angeles is that ship, arri ship arrivals are rising, but land-based capacity to handle the added inflows can't keep pace. So Sea Intelligence pointed to a sharp increase in Asia, North America, West container liner services. There are 53 weekly services right now versus just 39 at the same point last year. So Gene Soroka said that both Anchorage and dwell times are trending in the wrong direction. 
In July, 75% of ships were stopped at anchor before heading out to berth. That's up from 50% in June. And early data in August shows that 90% of arriving vessels are headed straight to the parking lot. Gene Soroka, last point here. He said, let me sum it up this way. Warehouses are overflowing. Rail yards and carriage are maxed out. Chassis and containers continue to be hard to come by. Ships are coming in and waiting at anchor to get worked. And factories are behind in orders, even though output is at record levels. I think that is uh, well put uh, from the port, port director or the director of the Port of LA, Gene Soroka. All right, now that we've got top stories out of the way, sorry for that kind of jumble of news there. Let's bring in Andrew Lockwood. I'm excited to have you. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to, good to be back. So let's talk about back to school season. First off, uh, how was it shopping for your kids? Are they in school? Or are they at home? How's that working out? No, they're uh, back in pre. Both of them are actually in preschool. Started up uh, a week ago here in Florida, and so glad uh, glad that they're back in the classroom. And uh, at least for us, the back to school shopping is not a a, a gigantic chore yet. But I, I think uh, certainly a lot of our clients are seeing, uh, you know, a little bit of a sigh of relief. A lot of kids back in school, may maybe at home uh, with COVID. Uh, so I think I'm anticipating a back and forth situation here for the next couple of weeks. But yeah, a lot of our customers are getting ready for uh, for the, the upcoming peak season. Angie, I was going to ask about your kids, but now knowing they're, they're little ones, they probably didn't have the big, uh, you know, I think I saw on average um, uh, parents were expecting to pay $600 in back to school uh, expenses per child this year. It's up like 18% over 2019. It was a, it's a really big number. So let's talk about your, uh, your clients kind of prepping for this peak season. As I said earlier, a lot of the big retailers have done a good job building inventories into the peak season. Have your clients been able to do the same? Yeah, we've seen the same thing. I mean, inventories continue to build. And I think that's the story across the industry. You you mentioned it just a minute ago. Every warehouse in America feels like it is busting uh, at the seams. And so it's just, it's kind of astounding what uh, with this consumer-based economy uh, is, is causing from a cause and effect standpoint. So, you know, you've got a lot of logistics companies, a lot of players in the same uh, situation where they're trying to figure out uh, where to even just house the inventory once it's brought in uh, off the container ships. And so, yeah, I mean, we've we've been seeing firsthand the the inventory build or the desire to build the inventory, um, you know, and it and it puts your uh, your logistics team in a scramble mode downstream, uh, trying to figure out what the best optimal way to do this is because everything's happening so quickly. So, Andrew, one of the things that I'll, I think is uh, kind of a corporate sayism is just competing, um, comp- competing priorities. It's mm-hmm. been a thing that's always kind of in place but when looking at competing priorities that we're seeing right now within logistics within this consumer economy are you seeing anywhere where there's just going to be a complete fall off where something is on the list of we've got to get to this we've got to get to this it's up next it's up next to you know what forget about it get rid of it yeah it's a great point ever since the economy reopened last summer uh even last fall you've started to see prioritization on certain things within supply chains uh, where it, you know it may not have been in the past. Take for example the international shipping rates. Um, what was four thousand dollars a year ago is four to five x that this year. Uh, so for one forty foot container, uh, you know, co- going from China to Long Beach, I'll use round numbers. Instead of paying four thousand, you're going to pay you know fifteen at a good deal to twenty thousand uh, for that same container. So you're seeing a lot of margin erosion. Um, you know, the, the thing I like about logistics is the priority always shifts to where your focus should be. So you're seeing just a ton of pain getting stuff into the U.S. Now we're seeing the bottleneck shift to, okay, now that it's here, uh, maybe I paid that premium price for the international transport. 
where am I going to fit it? Where am I going to warehouse it? So we've seen um, here at Sudeth just a, you know, a number of uh, warehousing opportunities as, uh, as fallout. And, and essentially, everyone's trying to do the same thing. They're bringing it in through Long Beach. Uh, perhaps they're trying to get smarter and bring it in through the port of Houston or Savannah or another East Coast port, but it's really the same story. It's hard to get your containers out, and then you're paying a premium price to the drage care, uh, and then scrambling to find a warehouse. So, uh, you know, to to your point, competing priorities. I think we've just seen uh, the the intensity ratchet up over the last year. I don't see it going away anytime soon. Uh, but like Andrew, like we've shared in the past, this is a great environment for uh, data driven people that uh, that are in demand planning that have some. Excel ninja data data skills to come in and, and really put those skills to work for the betterment of the industry and, and essentially the end consumer. Those ninjas were very busy throughout the early days of the pandemic, slashing SKUs, at least for we're talking about retailers here. Uh, they were you know dealing with transportation delays, dealing with supply chain delays and getting product out of China or wherever they're importing from. So they began to slash uh, SKUs pretty rapidly. But we have seen some of, the, some of the bigger guys, at least in the earnings calls this week, talk about expanding the portfolio breadth you know, getting back to where we were pre-COVID, they're they're not there yet. I was just kind of wondering: is, is there any broad strokes to paint between your clientele? Have they um, have they been focused on you know making sure that we have enough of the high demand moving products, or are they looking to expand their portfolio again? I didn't know if there's anything there. Yeah, we've seen some expansion of you know, and and just a lot of learnings from what has worked and what hasn't worked. As as many retailers have been doing trial and error, and and Andrew, you've been writing a lot about this recently, just with Target and. Uh, you know, and uh, Petco and just some of the other companies that have been doing trial and error. At no other time in history has, have this many companies been trying to do so many different things. Uh, I will point out, I think it shows a, a little bit of a divergence, though, between the haves and the have-nots, the sophisticated and the unsophisticated when it comes to supply chains. Um, you know, while we see building inventories, uh, you know, for certain clients, other clients are really struggling to get their stuff in. They're behind the curve and they're in, in scramble mode trying to make sure their stuff's here so they can sell it during Black Friday so that their shelves are, uh, are, are, are full. So that's, that's what I'm seeing firsthand. It's just this divergence of smaller companies, not as sophisticated, trying to grow and do the best they can from a small business standpoint. Uh, but it, it is a very competitive uh, landscape out there right now. And it, and it just points to the thing I love about logistics. It's about relationships. When you have a good relationship, hang on to that relationship and partner together. Andrew, I couldn't agree with you more about kind of just... Uh the dichotomy between the haves and the have-nots. I, I thought about this actually with Seth Holm back a few months ago. We thought about using logistics capex as just a screener for who for the retailing companies you want to invest in. Because look at all of the ones that are uh, in a great position right now. They've been investing in their supply chain for the better half of a decade, and it's now visible uh, now that they're being you know pushed to the edge. Let's let's talk about this peakiest of peak seasons for a moment. What are your biggest challenges at Sudoth right now? Well, I, it, with the peakiest of peak seasons, we're, you know, we're seeing a lot of the surcharges and the fees being announced now by the parcel carriers. Um, it, you're starting to see, it, you know, it's very, again, very interesting that peak season is now going to be drawn out over several several months. So just think about the incentives here. There's There are incentives to ship before peak season or after peak season. I remember what, uh, you know, my, my mother and grandmother used to say, and they're like, Andrew, patience is a, vir- is a virtue. And the same is, is true and applicable here in the same logistics environment. So look, my recommendations for the shippers, the, uh, the logistics companies out there, are know the rules of the game. Uh, you know, With what FedEx just announced this past week, with the surcharges, you could be looking at an extra $5 for a small package. 
Um, if you're going to go over dimensions or any kind of weird intricacies with your parcels, you're really going to pay for that during peak season because there's so much volume uh, going through the system. So my recommendation, my word of advice, patience is a virtue. Look, offer your end consumer delayed shipping. Hey, we'll ship it to you uh, beginning of first year because that's going to save you. So I, I think, Andrew, we're starting to see a landscape that's going to shift. Uh, where the, I want it now, I need it next day, driven by the Amazon kind of consumer mentality, we may see a little bit of pushback there where uh, the those that are patient are going to be rewarded with less shipping costs or additional options, uh, just as companies try to navigate this, uh, this crazy peak season. So Andrew, keeping it on different shifts right now within the industry, can you tell us about what some of your expectations are in shifts and maybe the, the needs for even the employment or the, the permanent job changes. Of course, work from home is a thing, but looking at what some of the new requirements might be as we're seeing more and more technology enter the space, are you anticipating that there's going to be more um, or different qualifications that people are going to need or different kinds of uh, work dynamics that are going to be involved in this shift? Absolutely. G- great point. And in, in the, the, uh, the makeup of the American workforce is changing. One of the hottest jobs right now uh, where compensation is far exceeding uh, regular cost of living adjustments is is a forklift driver. Um, we've seen just crazy uh, crazy numbers out there in certain markets, driven again by competition in the area. I love that about Americans. You know, there's free market capitalism, and uh, but never have I seen certain markets eclipse twenty dollars as a starting wage for forklift drivers. It's crazy. So I think there's the short term immediate need, uh, especially for you know unsophisticated. You know, providers, those that haven't completely automated their uh, their warehouses with robotics, um, where, listen, we, it, there's a huge need for forklifts, uh, forklift lead ops, uh, uh, laborers, drivers is still a, a huge need that the focus has kind of shifted off of now for the last couple of months. There's still those same needs. Uh, looking five, 10 years ahead, the tech skills, uh, being able to read data, understand data, uh, and then do something with it is only going to be more in demand. Um, and that's where I, you know, I, I enjoy mentoring, uh, folks that just getting into the industry and just say, you know, get, get your hands dirty with the data, understand what's going on in the front lines, but then be able to use those technical skills on the back end. Cause we, again, we live in the information economy. It's all about information. Information translates usually most of the time to a better customer or, and consumer experience. And that's, what's going to help you win at the end of the day. So in Anthony's chart of the day, he spoke about the inventory costs and warehousing costs. They continue to rise. Uh, you know, I saw a report from Cushman and Wakefield a couple of weeks ago that said, you know, the U.S. warehouse capacity was at its lowest uh, lowest point ever. I think the the nationwide vacancy rate was at four and a half percent, but out in the West Coast and in the Northeast, where the markets are tightest, they were you know below two percent capacity. You you mentioned that you guys are are finding warehouse space or at least you know some like excess warehouse space. I was just kind of wondering how those um, how that search has been. Have you guys found it easier to find warehousing space in the South? I saw that Cushman. And Wakefield kind of said the South had the, the largest vacancy rate, but it was still only like four, 5.4%. So just wondering how it's going uh, searching for warehouse space if you're looking. It, it's a tough battle. I, I, I'm not going to mince words. It's, it's tough. But I think it, it's also causing most companies like ourselves to look inward and say, okay, we have this amount of space within the four walls. How do we redesign it? How do we better, uh, better use that same space? Do we rack it higher? Do we uh, pull racks closer together and go with... Uh, uh, you know, smaller aisles in between. So I think that's the good part is it's it's actually causing some optimization within the four walls. Um, to directly answer your question, though, excess uh, space is right now at a premium. I mean, if you do find something, you've got to act on it quick. 
Um, you may not love the the terms of the lease, but again, it's it's a seller's market or a, a uh, lessor's market from uh, from that standpoint. Um, there's just there simply is not enough warehouse space to hold all the stuff we're bringing in uh, from other countries. That's awesome to hear that you are you know testing and iterating uh, inside the four walls of the warehouse, looking for efficiencies there. That's that's awesome to hear. Andrew, last question uh, before I let you get out of here. Yeah, and you might not know off the top of your hand, I don't know if you're even in this division of the business, but I know that Sudoth was started as a moving business way back in the day. You guys still have a very prominent moving business. I just wanted to know, how's that going? Have you seen any slowdown or are people still moving all over the place? Yeah, people have, and again, I, I'm not as close to it, but just from uh, from other, you know, being in contact with others in the company, the company has had a great year with uh, with household good moving. And as you might expect, I mean, you still see uh, certain certain areas where it's it, there's a little more of a one-way uh, moving pattern, west coast of Florida, New York down to Florida. Um, I see it here in Florida in my own neighborhood. Uh, but yeah, you're, I mean, you're seeing, you're, you're seeing folks flee kind of the states that you would expect. Um, moving has picked back up, but, but again, with, with traditional moving season, there is a, a, you know, pretty defined start and end. And now that the school year has, has started, we, we expect that to start to trickle out. All right. Andrew Lockwood, thanks so much for your time today, sir. Thank you, guys. Good, Always good to be here and uh, appreciate the time. Absolutely. Open invitation. See you next time. All righty. Uh, so let's get on to You Care or Not. We've got a few minutes here to pump out what we're going to go through. First one is on Peloton. So they had that huge recall of its Tread Plus back in May uh, that also kind of shuttered the release of its lower-priced Tread, but it is moving forward with its lower-priced Tread. Apparently, it's going to go on sale in the next few days or the next couple of weeks. Anthony, you care or not about them bringing this lower-priced pl- lower Tread to market? Uh, nah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, and I think for Peloton to be successful, they're likely going to have to keep the price point down. I mean, right. when you look at Peloton, it was kind of like, not a barrier to entry, but it was for a certain clientele. It was for, for a certain person. And always looking at trends, looking at the way things are moving, I don't know how big home fitness or how big the market's going to be sustainable. There's definitely going to be some people that stick around in the home fitness world. But I only think of, you know, that trope of people having that um, treadmill that just collects dust in the corner of their bedroom um, in their early 90s or late 80s or, you know, the exercise equipment. I get it. It's engaging. It's a new trend on something that's been, you know, here for a while. So I think it makes sense. But caring? Nah. So speaking of the late 80s, early 90s, you don't think that Peloton can do to the gym what the Atari did to arcades? I think no. No. I don't think I don't I don't know either, but I do think that as um, as um, AR VR continues to get better and humans just in general get more reclusive, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I do think that there's a, mar- a huge market for uh, for, sure. for at home gyms. And I don't know. I think I think a little bit of the COVID, like just being in uh, spaces where there's other sweaty humans, is also like people have become a little bit more apprehensive of that moving forward. But but there's definitely. I mean, I don't personally like working out at home, so I'm a gym. Uh, well, I haven't been to the gym in a while, but yeah. when I go, I'm, I'm a gym person. <laughs> uh, I'll just I'll just say they're still working on the Tread Plus. They don't have a fix for that yet. Apparently, it's going to be a little bit more difficult of, of a change. Um, I am looking forward to the earnings call coming up Thursday. They said they, they've come out and said that it cost them about $165 million in lost sales not having a, a treadmill to sell because their whole sales have been paused on the Tread Plus since May, and they haven't had the Tread, so they've been selling no Tread. So they lost about $165 million in sales, but there's a much bigger cost, uh, a much bigger loss to them because they're not only losing out on that cost of the bike, they're losing out on the, on the recurring revenue of the subscription that they probably could have gone elsewhere for. So 
again, looking forward to earnings Thursday, learn how much uh, the real cost of that was. And I kind of put out a, uh, an estimate on the logistics cost of what the recall would cost them. So I kind of want to see if they discuss that as well. Okay. Number two is on Walmart. This is something that kind of hit the news airs uh, just before we came. Walmart announced today that it is going to offer its delivery platform to other businesses, delivery as a service. They're going to call it Walmart Go Local in another move that further diversifies its revenue stream and profit pools. Anthony, you care or not about Walmart Go Local? Yeah, um, I think that's a powerful move to kind of partner with other producers, other shippers. It expands Walmart as a brand and for a while, a long time, you, I think you called it that Walmart is a technology company. They are. I think technology behind this move is huge. So yeah, I care about this one. Yeah, I, have, I definitely care about this one. Walmart is uh, it, it's still one of my favorite retailers. I absolutely love Walmart. I go all the time. And I think that if you are going to just look at Amazon, right? The, I said this earlier on Freightways Now, the models, the operating models of the legacy incumbents and the digitally native uh, brands are converging very, very rapidly. You have Walmart and Target growing online sales 100 and 200% year over year, respectively. You have Amazon building out stores all over the place, now announcing they're going to get into bigger department stores. They're, they're becoming one another. Um, and to do that, Amazon knows that you have to subsidize the low margin e-commerce businesses with other services. That's why 51% or 49% of their revenue in Q2 came from services. Walmart's yeah. way behind on that, but they know where they need to get to. They've got to subsidize this uh, low margin e-commerce. They get way faster returns on their investments in technology, which then further enables them to invest more. Um, and uh, it comes just a month after Walmart announced that they're going to sell their omni-channel technology to retailers. They've doubled their, their Spark delivery drivers. So that's kind of their uh, Amazon Flex network of drivers. They've doubled that um, in the past year. So you just, you see this, you've got it going both ways. Two consumers, they're offering vet clinics, they're offering healthcare, banking, all these other uh, tangential services. And then two businesses, they're, se they're selling technology, they're selling um, fulfillment services, selling delivery. So they've got uh, service revenue coming in on both sides. All of these are high margin um, high margin businesses. I mean, we're talking about a company that does $500 billion in sales and only pulls in about $10 billion in net income. They need profit streams. Yeah. Uh, and so I think this is going to be a really good one for them. Okay. Amazon. This is th 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 These things are crazy to me because I didn't even know they were a thing as of like maybe six months ago, but these things keep get, just get money thrown at them. They're, they're called aggregators. So they're, they're just companies that um, kind of act as Berkshire Hathaway, but they just go in and they buy Amazon uh, digitally native sellers, right? Mm -hmm. And they either, you know, they work out different deals with different sellers. Either the seller will stay on and they'll just get like a revenue cut or they'll just buy it all together and the, the seller will go do his own thing. In any case, there's a lot of money being raised by these companies. There was another one, uh, D1 Brands, that just raised a boatload of money, raised $123 million last week so that it could go out and acquire more Amazon sellers. Anthony, what do you think? Do you care or not about D1 Brands raising a bunch of money? Nah, I mean, it seems, I mean, it's really cool. I think it's a great story. And it just kind of seems like an, an Amazon move that only Amazon can do. And I don't really see it being applicable. Maybe it will be later, further on down the line to other businesses, other large corporations. But this one right now, nah, not too much. It's really cool though. I just want to make note of like how much money. I'm talking, this is a lot of money. They're throwing millies at these companies. So since the pandemic began in April, or we'll just go back to April 2020, there's been more than $7 billion raised by just these companies that go out and buy brands, buy Amazon digitally native brands. It's unbelievable. Perch raised $775 million in May. Um, they're probably going to be the first to go public if it's not Thrasio. Keep your, keep your eyes on these names, um, especially Perch and Thrasio. But Heyday is another one that's focused on smaller brands um, and, and fewer of them. They raised about $70 million in May. 
this company, D1 Brands, already owns 85 uh, Amazon brands. So just these are big companies. And so do you think this is sustainable? I mean, I don't, I don't know why not. I mean, if, 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 if Amazon continues to build out its fulfillment services and continues to offer the services at a cost that is you know, affordable to these companies, to these brands, then yeah, why not? I mean, these, these, these companies are basically saying, we have, the, we have the understanding to grow your business. You've done a great job getting yourself to 1 million in sales. Now let's take, let us take you to 10 million in sales and you go you know, take this check and go live on the beach in Belize. Yeah. And they, they've, they're, they're confident that they can do that because they've done it time and time again. It's, it's just you know, washing off an old playbook marketing, same things. I mean, they do the same things for every company. Um, and I mean, I don't know if how much money is being poured into them is sustainable, but the businesses that are doing it are running, you know, very little capital intensive businesses and doing a lot of it, just letting Amazon handle a lot of it. They're handling the traffic, they're handling the fulfillment, they're handling the delivery. Um, so they're really just a marketing company is what these things are. But uh, I don't know. It's just something to keep your eyes on. I just Definitely wanted to make, because I didn't even know what these things were six months ago, and now they've raised $7 billion in, in 16 months. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of money. All right. That's been it uh, for episode 83 of Great Quarter, guys. If you tuned in live on FreightWaves LinkedIn or FreightWaves TV, thanks so much for joining us. If you are listening uh, on demand, make sure to subscribe to Point of Sale if you like what you heard today, or subscribe to FreightCast, where you can get all of FreightWaves feed on one tidy feed. Uh, we will be back next week, same time, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on FreightWaves TV. Remember, you can get everything we got on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All right, we'll see you then. See you next time, guys.